Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Light of the East welcomes new affiliate Living Bread Catholic Radio, AM 1060 WILB, the truth for Northwest Ohio. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya and joined here once again, thankfully, by Katie Gullis. Welcome, Katie. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. You know, Katie, oftentimes uh, we're asked about our church. In many ways, people will often ask about the liturgy, how long it is, you know, if it's a different language, is it in English? Oftentimes, it seems like as an Eastern church, whether Eastern Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, we're automatically associated with a sort of an ethnic basis. People oftentimes will ask, is your liturgy in English? Will we understand it? It's interesting that many people don't really know who we are as an Eastern church, whether Catholic or Orthodox, but they have some sense that it's got some connection with some ethnic basis, some culture. And in a sense, their intuition is right. We can never in the Eastern churches separate totally culture from liturgy, culture from faith. In fact, the two are very much intertwined. Oh, we have this idea in our culture today, which is actually misunderstood about separation of church and state and whatever that means. But in the case of the Eastern churches, both Orthodox and Catholic, there really is not a total clear separation, as it were. There is in one sense, theologically, but in reality, the story of the church is ensconced in the story of the peoples. So with an Eastern church, you always have the story of a peoples, a story of a culture. And our particular culture of our church is called the Rusin or Carpathal Rusin culture. My particular church, our particular church, Katie, is of course the Metropolia of Pittsburgh, of the Ruthenian jurisdiction, which is an anglicized word for Rusin. So the next question, of course, is always, what is a Rusin? Or who are the Rusins? Well, we're going to answer that question in part. We can't totally answer it because it's a very vast subject, but we're going to pick away at it today on our program and with the help of special guests. We welcome to Live the East today, Ron Pike and Charlotte Congelko. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory, Glory to him forever. And I guess I could also say Slava Jesus Christ. Slava Vicky. Welcome to Light of the East. You are representing what's called the Carpathal Rusin Society, and a particular branch of them, actually, a new branch. Can you tell yes. us about that? Well, we're the Lake Michigan chapter, and we are looking for people who live in Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan 
to join us in our society, which we're having a big get-together on June the 12th, the Saturday, at 1 p.m. at St. Peter and Paul Orthodox Church in Burr Ridge, and we're bringing in our national president, John Rigetti, who does an incredible job explaining our culture, our traditions, in an informative way, but yet entertaining. I've seen his PowerPoint presentation. Mm -hmm. I've known him personally for many years. He does a terrific job of telling us, and so many of us who have grown up in this country aren't real familiar with a lot of our customs. He tells it like it is and where it came from, Mm -hmm. and we hope everyone will show up. We'll have refreshments, too. Now, we'll repeat this several times in the program, but the place to go for the website would be Lake Michigan Rusins, Mm -hmm. right? Lake Michigan Rusins, and the Rusin is spelled R-U-S-Y-N-S dot com, right? That's it. LakeMichiganRusins.com for information. Now, I'm going to leave the literature they have. It says, did you ever get a good answer to who are the Rusins? If you want to know more about your ancestors from the Carpathian Mountains in present-day Slovakia, Poland, and Ukraine, don't miss the Carpatho-Rusin Society's entertaining, enlightening, and free presentation of Rusin Customs and Culture by John Rigetti, president of the Carpatho-Rusin Society and USA delegate to the World Congress of Rusins. And again, as you said, Charlotte, this is Saturday, June 12th at 1 o'clock at St. Peter and St. Paul Orthodox Church, which is in Burridge, Illinois. Okay, let's talk about Rusin. Who are the Rusins? Are both of you Rusins? Yes. yes, we are. Okay, and what does that mean? In my case, it was something I didn't discover till I was 60 years old. Oh. I had always been told that I was Hungarian. It wasn't until I started doing genealogy work and then got my DNA tested that I discovered that instead of being a uh, Hungarian, a Magyar, that I was actually Rusin. And in fact, my great-grandfather, his father, and his father before him all were Rusin priests. Now, your name is Pike, but you said that was anglicized. Yes, that was shortened by my father in 1935 with an excuse that I'm sure you've heard in many other contexts, mm-hmm. and that is he wanted to sound more American. Yes. Uh, Before that, it was Paikoshi. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was Paikosh, P-A-J-K-O-S. And uh, the Paikoshi was adopted in about 1808 when my great-great-great-grandfather went into the seminary. I see we're both from married priests, the lineage of married priests. Yes, indeed. It's interesting you said that you didn't discover it, you're Rusin until recently. Something I discovered in my own life, too, later in life as well. My grandmother on my mother's side, and also to a large extent the relatives, my ancestry on my father's side, the dominant language was Hungarian. Yes, absolutely. And I always thought that we were Hungarian, or more so Hungarian. Certainly I thought that my maternal grandmother and grandfather were Hungarian. Well, one day when we were talking with my grandmother, she said, oh, no, I'm not Hungarian. I'm a Rusin. But yet everything about her seemed Hungarian. Well, she actually spoke a fluent Rusin and Poruski, you know, mm. the language of the Rusins. And, of course, eventually she learned English. Well, what happened was, and this is part, partly what marks the, our history, is that that part of Europe, which is Central Europe, it's the exact epicenter of Europe. It's where Slovakia, Poland, Ukraine all come together. That was at one time ruled by the Austro-Hungarian Empire. In fact, I'm sure, Ron, you find you meet people all the time, and I always pick them out. I know they're Rusin if they say this. They don't know they're Rusin, but they'll say, oh, my ancestry is Austro-Hungarian. Yes. I said, that, that means you're a Rusin. Yes. <laughs> that was almost like the classier way to say uh, of what you were, because the Rusins, they're kind of like, I liken them to almost like the modern-day Palestinians. We were a peoples, but we never really had a country. And so we were claimed by so many. Uh, and one of those claims, of course, was during the Austro-Hungarian Empire. 
So if you wanted to pinpoint who you belong to, you say, well, I'm part of the Hungarian Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And of course, they had more of the learning. You know, a lot of the Rusins were village people, farmers, you know, uneducated. And to become something better, they often went to schools which were basically dominated by uh, Hungarians and Hungarian language. I know a lot of the priest wives, for instance, spoke Hungarian. They went off to schools and learned how to speak Hungarian. My grandmother was a daughter of a priest. She came from a priestly family. So naturally, they learned the Hungarian culture because that was the culture of, in a sense, of royalty and of class. And again, <laughs> and so the Rusins, when they wanted to kind of become more educated, or rise up, as it were, or they got into positions that seemed to be uh, what you might call more educated or class and so on, uh, they often adopted this sort of Hungarian mystique, which led people like you and I to think that maybe we were Hungarian. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are actually by blood Rusin, Carpatho-Rusin. And that name means sons of Rus, correct? It's actually a name, a word that comes from, uh, really, from the Norsemen, isn't it? It has a history, a root in a language that came from north, from uh, the Norwegians, actually, and into that area, oh, centuries ago, like about the 6th century. And from that, in that region, they combined with Slavs and so on, and eventually became what we know today as the Rusin people. And it goes back to the 7th century. Okay, Katie, I'm going to bring you into this discussion now, because as Ron and I mentioned, that we had it in sense that we were something other, or in addition to Rusin, you grew up believing that you were, your ancestry is Slovak. That's right. Yeah. My grandpa always told us that we were Slovak. And in fact, my aunt and I were talking recently and she said, you know, we never knew we were Rusin or no one ever said that we were Rusin. It was always, we're Slovak. That's where our family came from. And for as long as I could remember, that's all I ever heard my grandpa say. And his older sisters was that they were from Slovakia. And when I was little, I would ask my my grandpa, like, what village were they were they from? And he wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But then recently he was just like, oh, yeah, I think I think I found it on the map in the back of church because we have this great big map of of the like Central Europe. Mm-hmm. And he said that he would point them out to me. So now he all of a sudden knows where he's from. <laughs> and I think that's I mean, I think that's pretty cool because then it helps me research it a little bit more. And so what happened was the original people of this region, this is the Carpathian, Carpathian mountain region. This is, I guess, around they would call like the lower Tatra mountains. And in that mountain range, the people that settled there were the people of Rus. That was their original name. And it is from those people that many scholars believe, and I believe, I think you believe, that we then eventually had like Ukrainians and Slovak and so on. But it's interesting if we had a Ukrainian sitting here in the studio and, and a Slovak, there would be a, probably a disagreement there. <laughs> Definitely there would be, Father, because there's a lot of national pride. There's been a lot of assimilation going on, particularly with the younger generation. Uh, I had personal experience a couple of uh, summers ago in Europe. I had hired a genealogist and tour guide to help me, and it became obvious to me quite quickly that he was really Rusin, but he called himself Slovak. The reason I know he was Rusin was because his grandfather was a married priest in the Ruthenian church. Well, we're going to talk more about this amazing history and these interesting people, my people, who are called the Rusins. And we're also going to hear from our other guest, Charlotte Kanjelko, who has a very interesting history and background as a Rusin and also as the wife of a priest. So please stay with us here on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, 
we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Every person in the world is actually Catholic. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with the Theology of the Body Moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Catholic is really about the invisible made visible through the physical. Nowhere is this more true than in our human bodies. Pope John Paul II said that the body and it alone makes visible what is invisible. But so can bread or wine make visible what is invisible. So can water, oil, a candle, an icon, or incense. Furthermore, so does a birthday cake, a flag, or a Christmas tree. Physical things enable us to touch invisible realities. Catholics do not have to convert anyone. All we have to do is remind everyone that they have been Catholic all along, simply by the fact that everyone has a physical body. And the theology of that body makes an invisible God visible. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on the theology of the body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 1030 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video stream live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. The music you are hearing is a concert of Carpatho Rus music under the direction of Jerry Jumba. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm here with Katie Gullis and our special guests from the Carpatho Rusin Society, Ron Pike and Charlotte Conjelko. Charlotte, let's start with you. You are a wife of a priest. Please explain that to the audience. Okay. Well, I've always known I've been a Rusin. Uh, that word was certainly implanted <laughs> in me by my parents and grandparents. I am the wife of a Carpatho Rusin priest. Uh, he was ordained 47 years ago. We were married two weeks before that, because among the Orthodox priests, you must marry before ordination. And we have been in New Jersey, uh, Newark, New Jersey, and Clymer, Pennsylvania, and mm. then Gary, Indiana. And since our diocese is under the, Carpe- or the Greek patriarch, my husband is on loan to the Greek metropolis of Chicago, and he serves a church in Kankakee. So we're sort of mm. multicultural Orthodox. <laughs> <laughs> and for the both of you, for Ron and for Charlotte, why is it important for you to know about your Rusin past and to be promoting it? Well, why should we know about the Rusins? Because they are a stateless people, like the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. As John Rigetti will point out in his talk, I'm sure he will say this on June the 12th, John Rigetti will point out beautifully the history, the, the tragedies of the history of the Rusin people, namely that the Rusins had an independent state for one day, mm-hmm. March 15th, 1939, and then they were immediately crushed 
by the troops from their neighbors. Mm-hmm. So it's a country of stateless people, about two million of us throughout the world, in what has been called the Rusin diaspora. But beyond that, it connects me with a spirituality, mm-hmm. a spirituality which until I was 60 was a total mystery to me. Mm-hmm. I was used to the Roman Rite. My mother was Roman Catholic, although my father was Greek Catholic. I was baptized in the Roman Catholic Rite and brought up that way. So everything I'm discovering over these past 10 years is all new, and it's very moving. And there's another reason why I think knowing about the Rusins is important, even for, not only for our spirituality, which of course is primarily a point of this program, like the East, is the spirituality of the Eastern lung of the Church, both Orthodox and Catholic, as John Paul II referred to it, but also globally. You know, the Rusin people are at a very interesting crossroad right now globally, because right now there is a movement in Ukraine where, where a lot of Russians are, are, live right now in, in the area of Ukraine, because as I mentioned before, a lot of nations, throughout history, nations would claim the Russian people. Their borders would change. This time you're Slovak, that this year you're Ukrainian, then you're an Austro-Hungarian, and so on. You're Romanian, Croatian, etc. Well, there are many Russians who are in what is known today as Ukraine. And of course, Ukrainians just believe that they are Rusins or ought to call themselves Rusin and be done with it. But there is, I understand, a movement among Rusins in Ukraine. Now, this would have some significant global implications because such a thing could actually help or hurt Ukraine, which, of course, is now under pressure from Russia. Russia is pressuring Ukraine. They'd like to see it actually broken up, I think. And and they think that they would actually like to see the Rusin thing actually add towards a division Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a significant reason to focus on these Rusins and what they're about and what they want, because what they're about could have significant impact globally, certainly for that region of the world and the whole relation of Ukraine to Russia, which basically is a relationship between the Eastern world, the formerly communist world, communist Russia, and the Western world. So Ukraine is sort of like that buffer, and it, it's, got, it's a tremendous focus of attention right now globally. And right in the midst of that, as always, <laughs> are the unsung people called the Rusins. <laughs> yes, the Rusins are asking to be recognized as an ethnic minority within their oblast in southwest Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Now, they do get that recognition in Croatia. They get it in Serbia. They get it in Romania, they get it in Slovakia, they get it even in Hungary, where there are only really two villages left uh, with predominant uh, Rusin populations. Mm-hmm. And they get some recognition of the, of the Lemkos in Poland, although the, the Lemkos suffered a great tragedy after World War II when they were deported from their lands along the Vistula River. Mm-hmm. But the movement to force assimilation upon people uh, creates in a lot of us a great deal of uh, animosity toward the leadership of Ukraine. And that might be very unfortunate, as you say, Father, because the West is trying to encourage Ukraine mm-hmm. to follow the rules of the Eurozone, mm-hmm. uh, the European state, if you will. And that is to let your minorities have some rights. Mm-hmm. And Ukraine is, is an outlier. They are not allowing the Russian minority to have its rights. And I have to say, the Carpathorusian Society has helped in the extent of supplying textbooks mm. to schools where Rusin is taught and to helping in the rebuilding of churches. It is not a society with uh, huge financial resources, but they help as much as they can. For those who want to know more about the Rusins, one of the, probably the biggest names in scholarship in the Rusins in recent history has been Dr. Paul Magoshi. And he was out of Harvard. And any of his work, in fact, he has fascinating books called... Uh, 
the people from nowhere. People from nowhere, yes. <laughs> and I think this is a takeoff, Father, on the uh, famous or infamous Andy Warhol. Yes. Uh, was once asked, well, where are you from? And he said, I'm from nowhere. Right. And that was unfortunate, but it was kind of a true statement in the sense that the Rusins have been denied having a place. And Andy Warhol, by the way, I believe his real name was Warhola. That's right. In fact, mm-hmm. he was, we had a priest named Warhola. He had a relative who was a, one of our priests. And he became very famous, of course. He's a famous Rusin. There's other famous Rusins as well. But Andy Warhol was, was one of the most famous in recent history. So, yeah, he said he's from nowhere. In a sense, that's true. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we are an insignificant people or, or have an insignificant history. In fact, we have a, a very important history is all along, but especially in recent times, under the oppression of communism, when communism, atheists and communism tried to repress and, and liquidate the church in Eastern Europe among the Rusin people, which included, of course, yes, Ukraine and Slovakia, Hungary. But the Rusin people stood firm. In fact, one of the biggest reasons that communism was brought down in that region was because of the faith and the steadfastness of the Rusin people. Now, you mentioned that you rediscover this spiritual heritage that comes along with, in context with, your ethnic heritage and this Rusin ethnic heritage, especially when it comes to the Eastern churches. You cannot totally separate out the culture, the history from the peoples and their faith. What, does that, what is that spirituality you have rediscovered? Well, it's a much more mystical approach, uh, the iconography. And they don't, no one says such a person painted an icon. They mm. say he wrote the icon. And that I am and I was before I retired a professional writer. That means a lot to me. Mm. And simply the the old liturgy, the connection to our culture as Rusins. Uh, I read a guidebook when I first started to discover that I was really Rusin. The guidebook said, the Byzantine Catholic Church is the great repository of the culture, the customs, the history of one of the great lost tribes of Europe, hmm. the Rusins. And to step into a wooden church in Laromirova, in Slovakia, as I did, you feel such a powerful emotion, Father. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe. Speaking of powerful emotions, uh, one of our guests today, Charlotte Kanjelko and I, we have a history together. Our families have a history that goes back to a time of powerful emotions. <laughs> Doesn't it, Charlotte? There was yes. a, in the United States of America, there was a split in the Carpathian Rusin Church. At that time, it would be called the Greek Catholic Church. And there were a lot of reasons for this. And it's interesting that Charlotte is here in the studio with me because back in the 1930s, my grandfather, Father John Loya, was involved and embroiled in what eventually became court cases in this split. And one of the families that, that were opposing him and, and his group was the family of Charlotte Conjelko. <laughs> Kanchelko's husband's family, and her husband is a priest today, and it was her grand, his grandfather that was a part of that opposition. Right. He was um, my husband's grandfather when the Orthodox side lost the court case, bankrolled the new church being built, and um, later, of course, my husband became a priest. And we were talking about traditions before, and Ron told his story of newly finding this. I was born knowing I was Rusin, and it's just something that is a part of me mm-hmm. and such wonderful memories of Bubba with <laughs> making her Pascha or Kolochki, um, you know, the family gathering together every holiday and, and all the fun that we would have with those 
those mm-hmm. customs, you know, the dunking day following yes, uh, Easter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the Kubi coming around at Christmas. So all those customs, and it makes me sad, I grew up with them, that, you know, they just don't exist in very many churches anymore. And they were such fun times, and I would like to see that revived. And That's one of the reasons, Father, that we are supporting the formation of this new Lake Michigan chapter, and that is to bring Rusin culture, Rusin history, Rusin customs, and particularly Rusin pride, pride in our ethnicity, mm-hmm. to other generations, such as Katie here. It's, it's so encouraging to see a young person, such as Katie, who has this pride already. Well, we thank you for being on the program today, Charlotte and Ron. And once again, to find out more about the Rusins, it's Saturday, June 12th at 1 o'clock, St. Peter and St. Paul Orthodox Church, Kalilang Road in Burr Ridge, Illinois. To find out more, go to LakeMichiganRusins.com. That's LakeMichiganRusins.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>